Today we sit down with the co-founder and CMO of Penji, Jonathan Grisbowski. Through many reiterations, Jonathan and his team ultimately found the solution to a larger problem with Penji. Today, Penji provides companies with an unlimited and on-demand access to dependable and vetted digital designers that will deliver your graphic design project in under 48 hours. In today's conversation, Jonathan shares a very transparent view into the life of an entrepreneur. He shares some of the very genuine thoughts about his trials and tribulations of finding your niche as a business and growing a global team at a rapid pace. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Jonathan, welcome to the Entrepreneur's Podcast. Very excited to have you on today. Learn more about yourself, Penji. You have a great entrepreneurial background. Can you start off by giving our listeners a little bit about your uprising as an entrepreneur and where you are today with Penji? It's been absolute hell uh, throughout the past eight, nine, ten years uh, of, of my life. And uh, the reason why I say that is Number one, the people that are still listening to this podcast with that particular type of intro, I think you're already a, one step ahead of the game. Yeah. Um, but in terms of my particular background uh, and entrepreneur journey, I feel like I've been this way uh, my entire life. I started at 15 doing lawns in Philadelphia. Um, I moved over to New Jersey and started doing lawns there. I was making around like anywhere between $2,000 and $2,500 a month uh, as like a 15, 16 year old. And, awesome. and I ended up just like spending it on stupid crap uh, as like, you know, any 15, 16 year old would probably do. My mom forced me to get a real job. I didn't want to. Um, I didn't even know that this, this journey that I'm living, this life I'm living is the world of entrepreneurship. I just kind of just lived my life the way that it was. Sure. Um, End up working for some really good companies. Uh, Apple in particular is kind of like the, uh, the beginning and the foundation of like, you know, understanding the business world, culture, uh, people, organization, communication specifically. Um, and then I ended up just becoming this really in sad individual where I just hated life and wasn't really living up to my fullest potential. And I quit my job at Apple being paid pretty damn well. And uh, ended up starting like a marketing company and then, you know, failure after failure, I uh, ended up um, finding, uh, along with a couple of friends, this, this, this idea of, of Penji, which in, in our opinion is really challenging the way traditional graphic design is being displayed and being received. And so the idea of Penji in particular is that you sign up for the service, you submit a project and it gets delivered back to you in under 24 to 48 hours, fully completed. And so rather than hiring a freelancer, rather than hiring a, uh, an in-house person, we're able to do that for you at, at a cost of around $500 a month. So it's shattering a lot of the, uh, the, the traditional norms of, of marketing and graphic design, making it more palpable for those who may not be able, who want to get that, but but can't. Yeah. Um, and the, the how in which it was founded on was just honestly just by accident to a degree. Uh, but it, at the end of the day, it was founded because we were trying to solve a problem. Gotcha. That's, uh, that's great. A lot of, lot of meat on the bone here. I want to bring us all the way back to, you know, you get your, your job at Apple, right? You're working there. 
was that for corporate or was that for a location store? What were you doing for Apple exactly? Yeah, it was it was technically the retail side. However, it was more the business division. And so okay. I kind of worked with a lot of the businesses that are there, um, working with them, uh, uh, finding solutions to integrate Apple into their business, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, awesome. So, so I have two questions really on this one. What is your biggest learning from working from Apple? I know a few people that work for Apple, they seem to all take away something, some big nugget that they learned in terms of their business culture and how they do things. And what would have been yours in terms of your experience with Apple and one of your biggest learnings there? I think overall just how to deal with people. Yeah. I think it was probably the most important because you're not, you have two sides of, of the people. You have the people who are like diehard Apple fanatics that um, that you work with. And, and so you have to kind of work, build a relationship with, the, with your people. Um, and then there's that also the, the customer. So I think just understanding people as a whole, I think was probably the biggest learning experience. And I really feel is that, that I built my confidence in, in being able to talk to even people like yourself, uh, yourselves, excuse me, uh, on, on a podcast, it, it allowed me to kind of be able to articulate myself a little bit better. Uh, to, to formulate really good storytelling. So I think that was probably like the key takeaway. Okay, awesome. Can, you, can I jump in there, John? On, yeah. And when you say understanding people was a big thing that you learned in your experience with Apple, what did you come to understand about people or how you needed to be with respect to others? I think when people get... I think it's the listening piece, right? So like when you are angry at something, your body language could be this way. You know, you could be a little standoffish. You could kind of roll your eyes or whatever it may be. Um, so I think number one, the body language piece was was like a huge standpoint. But then given that now I'm not in a customer facing aspect and I'm more so dealing with the personality of like talking you know, uh, through Zoom, for example, or even through an email or text, it's, it's more or less like I have to think about all the times that I dealt with adversity on all aspects of life, not only just Apple, but be able to get to the core of like, what is this person actually trying to do? When it comes to the, the standpoint of Apple, you know, they, their, their frustration could be, you know, I have a cracked screen or like the thing's not working, but what are they actually saying to me? They might be saying, well, you know, listen, I'm afraid to admit that I have no idea what the F I'm doing with this, th with this device. Um, what can I do and say in order to make them feel heard and wanted? And I think that translates perfectly into a service like ours, because at the end of the day, uh, nobody really understands what the hell they're doing with their business. Uh, I mean, I, I, we have over 200 plus people that, that work for Penji right now. And even to this day, I, I'll be fully transparent. I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. I think I'm doing a pretty good job at, at, at coasting by, but I, I, I can't sit here confidently and tell you I have a formula. Um, and I think that's the same way with it when it comes to businesses as well. I think the people in general have no idea what they're doing um, and, and they're afraid to either admit that or talk about it. And so you really have to kind of get to the core of like, what is this person actually saying when they're angry or, or what is this person saying when they're trying to ask for feedback or, or revision on a project? or whatever it may be, they're, they're really just trying to voice their concerns and they want to feel heard. Yeah, that's, that, there's a lot there to go on. And I'm, yeah, there's I'm more gonna, meat for you to, to go. Yeah, <laughs> there's a ton. Cause I, I was going to go in a completely different way until you just said what you just said. Um, you have a creative mind, right? You're a chief marketing officer. 
you're a founder of company, you're very entrepreneurial. And it's interesting like when to hear you say, you know, people are gray. Like you have to kind of bob and weave and admit where you're not strong and kind of be vulnerable and learn and keep molding yourself, right? Like a piece of clay where you're you're, you know, a graphic design probably when you're doing something at Penji, you have to you have to be creative, you have to figure it out. Whereas sometimes people are more formulaic, right? Like here's the formula. It's a three-step way to manage people. And it's, you know, very formulaic. You, you have more of a creative uh, approach to the grayness of people, which people are gray, right? Things are different and you have to bob and weave around that. Is, that. is that a fair understanding of what you just talked about? Yeah. I mean, I think to put it a little bit more poetically, I feel like business is very like songy and dance oriented. Um and, and I think it has to have a lot to do with rhythm. Uh, like I'll be fully transparent with you guys before this call uh, this morning and probably last night, you know, I personally just got just beat up in multiple aspects of, of, of business from, you know, an administrative standpoint, um, people standpoint. And sometimes you can kind of lose your rhythm a little bit. And then if you lose your rhythm, then, Therefore, your business may may suffer the consequences as well, and uh, and so that I think that goes with the people the people that you're working with. Whether you're you're listening to this podcast, you have a retail chain, uh, or whether you're doing something a little along the lines of, um, you know, the internet or the world of the internet that I'm in. Uh, I think everything has to do with a, a flow and a style, and so if you can find a rhythm and a pattern to yourself, and a little bit of a pattern to how you live your life and run your business, I think it's going to, it's going to bode well for, for your overall success. But yeah, I think people are gray. Uh, I, I think people are wrong more often than they are right. And you just need to be able to set the proper expectations from a, a business standpoint to make sure that even though they're wrong, you still got to be able to kind of put your two cents in to make sure that they feel heard. If you wouldn't mind giving us a slice of your life, you kind of gave us the overview, like recently it felt like you got beat up on administrative stuff in people. If you wouldn't mind going there on a slice of reality of an entrepreneur that has 200 plus people doing work uh, with the company in some capacity, what happened that you got beat up on? Was there something that uh, you then learned that you're going to do differently is it a is it a deficiency in operating structure and approach like yeah. what what happened recently with you so uh this is a therapy session now um <laughs> no I'm just kidding um, life entrepreneurism is what this is well yeah no i but i mean in general uh podcasting and talking to people is, is a sense of therapy but uh, i i everything at the end of the day is fine so essentially the way it works is like I'm not going to change anything in my day just because I got beat up within the past 12 hours, right? I think if I were to make a substantial change in the business, that could affect many other aspects of the business itself. And so the way that we operate is based off of data. So let's look at the core of what is happening, right? Um, did, was it just, an, was I the outlier of this particular uh, uh, equation where it was just me that was affected or were multiple people affected? And if multiple people affected were, then how? So you said earlier, John, it was like, you know, you have to do the, the, the gray, but then there's also comes the aspect of like the, the, the meticulous side of me personally, which is like the, the, the data driven side. So it's kind of like both the emotional and then the data. So yeah, the emotional side was beat up, but now the data needs to represent that. And so the data hasn't shown that 
that what is happening right now is, is a cause for action. So usually what we do from a business standpoint is if we have substantial amount of data, if it's like three, more than three things, or if it's uh, if we can kind of verify that like 10 uh, customers have been affected by a particular situation, that's when we make a change. Uh, because again, if, if you were to make one change off of a, a customer phone call and the customer goes, listen, man, your service sucks and you need to uh, do this and you need to train your people better. That doesn't mean you go ahead and you have to start training everybody all over again, just because one person says that you suck. If you suck, you suck and you move on um, and, and you just take it on the chin. But, but so that's kind of like how I'm assessing the, 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 the answer to your, to your question, Rich, is just more so like, I need to be able to, to assess this and say, hey, I'm just getting beat up right now. It's not forever. And then, and then change my personal approach, uh, maybe throughout the day. Maybe, maybe I can't do the things that I wanted to do that, that, I, that I originally had planned, um, but I don't need to change anything within the business. Love that. So you got, you got beat up on what somebody else perceived. It sounds like it was a customer on some inadequacy in uh, the service or how the company operated instead of reacting emotionally and immediately making changes based off of that one conversation you're saying hey the way we operate is based off of data we're going to go validate the impact of the feedback that i got how wide reaching is that and if it's in fact really wide reaching we're going to make a change because it's necessary but i'm going to pause before i go do that i think that's a really well informed strategy that many entrepreneurs can benefit from I got to say, I love your degree of transparency and comfort in sitting in your own vulnerability to start the podcast by saying, uh, it's been hell. And then to say, I don't really know what I'm doing. And then to say, I just got beat up. I'm wondering, like, there's a magnetism to that. There's a like, wow, what is he going to say next? Because we know we're going to get the version of the truth that he believes uh, to be most true. How do you balance that level of transparency and openness with being the leader and CEO of a company that people have to believe in you and there's messaging that they're going to need to follow you, but you have this extreme level of transparency. How do you balance that? Good question. I would say, I think you need to be transparent in order to find holes and problems. Um, and I think you need to be able to be real with your people as well, that not every single situation in every day is going to be perfect. And when there is an opportunity to celebrate, um, a win, then you celebrate the win as best as you possibly can. So what that means is from a business standpoint, it's, it's hard for, the business to kind of have like a big win, right? Like there's no, there's no, like there, we have milestones of course, but the milestones are, are very large and, and, you know, whatever. And so when the, 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 the person, the individual person is more likely to receive a, a milestone before the business, if that makes sense. Um, and so how do I, how do we weave that in from the transparency is that we just, when a, when a, a team member has a victory, we celebrate that as loud as possible um, throughout the entire company. So then they feel wanted and they feel heard and they feel special. 
Um, we do a lot of really interesting things like uh, celebrating anniversaries and celebrating birthdays and things like that. And, um, we have channels that are associated with their, their children and um, uh, in like our communication structure in Slack, you know, celebrating their children, celebrating their personal wins. And so we make it very obvious and clear from a culture standpoint to know for them, for the team members to know that we give a, a giant crap about, you know, who they are as people. Um, I think the industry that we're in, um, we hire a lot of people from Asia, uh, from the Philippines specifically, and other countries in that general ge geography of the world. And the way that they've always been treated primarily by Americans has been, well, I don't see you, therefore you don't exist. And that couldn't be more untrue in terms of life <laughs> um, because they are breathing and human just because they don't, their, their first language wasn't um, English and they're, 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 they're white, you know, uh, th that they should be treated differently. And that's, that's not the case at all. So I think from the core standpoint of like celebrating and, and how I can balance that transparency is like from the beginning, every team member knows that how much we go to the length that we do in order to make them feel appreciated. And so I can, I have the ability to say things like, Hey, I got beat up today because they know at the end of the day, they're going to be treated the same way. I hope that, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it sure did. There's a level of care. And the note that I took is that you celebrate the individual's identity and you celebrate that by celebrating wins loudly by celebrating their unique birthday, their anniversary, their children, like people really feel that they're known and have an identity in your organization. I, I have this visual of like, okay, you're leading, you're the CEO, you're, you're foraging new land, you're chopping down the uh, bushwhacking in the Amazon. And you turn around and you're like, hey guys, I don't really know what I'm doing. Uh, Follow me. Yeah. I go, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'd follow that guy. Like that sounds dangerous. What's the counter message? Like, is there something more that you go, I don't really know what I'm doing, but what's the follow-up message that you deliver to your people yeah. that they ultimately follow you into that dangerous land because you're the leader? Yeah. So, um, I don't know. So I would, I would say if, if that was that particular situation, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm chopping the tree. I don't know what I'm doing. However, scientifically speaking and data speaking, I have a compass in my hand that says, this is the area that we need to go. And I have a very high probability that this is wh where we need to do it and, and how we need to do it and where we need to go. So I feel like that would be the only caveat to that particular example would just be that, 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 guide in order to build that confidence because that's the thing like even though i don't necessarily understand all the 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 large majority of it of it i do have a very strong grasp of very small core elements that make the business run and operate and succeed and that's the element that that i focus on primarily not all the other things that don't necessarily matter you know a, a customer being angry sure that's going to happen whatever um, but let's, let's kind of like take that back uh, and let's like, let's, let's, let's 
zoom in on that and really well, why is it because they had a bad experience well i need i could change that you know i could i could fix that was it because our marketing wasn't necessarily catered to their particular language you know they they used the keyword within the email I'm, I'm, again i'm i that wasn't this the, the why I, I particularly got beat up was because of one particular customer but i'm just using this as the example um what did they say did they have the right expectation of the service well, what does our, our marketing look like uh, in order to, to be able to, how did we, how did they buy into our service? And so that those are things that we can fix and the experience that they receive as a customer, we can change. And, and, and those are the things that, that I focus on, not the variables that I, I can't. You know, this reminds me, John, of Brandon Williams, who came on, who was a fighter pilot in the U.S. military. And he talked about a concept of the commander's intent, which the commander's intent was, hey, here's where we're going. I'm not sure I care how you get there. Just be here by this time. And it sounds to me like you, Jonathan, have a really strong grasp of a commander's intent in how you're leading that you're saying, look, I don't know what I'm doing in terms of the details, but I am confident this is the direction we need to go in. I don't know exactly how we're going to do all the detail work together, but I know we need to go this direction. What are your guys' suggestions? And you poured so much care into your people that they feel compelled to want to go on that journey with you. I think, I think you've demonstrated in the words that I've kind of validated back from one of our former podcast guests, a, a real strong grasp of commander's intent. When I reflect that back to you, how does that sound? Yeah, I mean, it's exactly right. Because when you hire people, you hire people because they can do a better job than you can, or that they're fitting, they're, 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 uh, they're able to fix, uh, uh, take back, uh, or excuse me, they're able to give you the time in which why you hired them. So um, that's kind of the expertise, right? Like, like, again, go back to the visual example, hey, we're going this way, I think this is the data. Um, however, Hey, you know, Jimmy, you, um, you know, you're really good at this. You know, can you formulate a team that does why? And, you know, Leia, you, you do, you do that. Um, and, and I think, can you, can you mold a team to kind of do this because this is your strength and your area of opportunity, you know, your, your area of, 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 of strength. Um, you know, Hey, you, you're weak in this area, lay low, lay, lay back a little bit and just watch because I think you're really good at analyzing things. So it's just finding like the, the people that you've hired and worked with and then putting them in the right position in order for them to do their job. Um, and, and the, I think where entrepreneurs fail, kind of pulling this back to the, the world of entrepreneurship, um, I think where entrepreneurs fail is, is where they hire people to do a specific job, but then they micromanage them in order to, uh, to where they, they take them away from what they're actually good at. Um, and, and so understanding people's personalities and, and their goals and their strengths, et cetera, I think is going to be able to give you a more, a better opportunity to, to understand, you know, what these people can do to help your business grow. Yeah. And Jonathan, a great way to kind of segue this conversation to where I wanted to go next. I was going to ask you about 200 people, a lot around the globe, right. In different areas, you mentioned using Slack as a communication tool, right. You can't micromanage. You have people all over the world. Like you have to either hire them or not. And in the, today's freelance society as well, if you don't treat them well, they'll go find a job somewhere else, right? Sure. You know, do, doing what, especially in graphic design or marketing services, there's definitely that ability, right? So, so talk to me a little bit about 
that because I, I, I want to kind of take that. I think, Rich, you hit the nail on the head, right? I think we've identified Jonathan's leadership style, which is I'm not Mr. Know-it-all. I have a compass directionally, vision-wise, there's a problem here we're solving and directionally we're going this way, but I'm hiring the right people. You just said, Jonathan, who have that expertise to take us there and I'm not going to micromanage them, but directionally I can help, you know, cut the trees with them and, and help push us in the right direction. How, tell me a little bit about, you know, how you manage your current team. And when I think about sometimes graphic design, you know, full transparency, right? Um, I go on to a Fiverr or, you know, other sites to go, look, I need this design logo works or whatever. Like, here's what I need, uh, 400 bucks or hundred bucks or whatever it is. And, and I have freelancers that kind of do the work, right? What's the difference between that and Penji is my first question. And then secondly, talk to us about how you manage your infrastructure on a global stage. Like, how do you use tools like Slack? You talked about the individual wins and, and, you know, culture pieces, but how about from a management? Cause you're not micromanaging them. So how does that work? Yeah. Um, so your second question was global, and then your uh, and your first question was more so about you know how does Penji differ from a regular freelancing? Um, yeah. Pen. So if you were to hire a freelancer right now for graphic design, um, there's a strong chance that that person has one dimensionals uh, in terms of skill set. Um, yeah. So you hire them to do like website design, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, website design can be it, it, website design is a very very specific skill set. So what happens if you need a website design and you need a logo and you need banner ads and you need presentations and things like that? That one freelancer can't do it. So right. you have to hire multiple people to do it. And even if they even if they if you hire that one person, they'll probably tell you they can do it. Sure. And then do a crap job. So. Sure. Um, what Penji allows you to do is have a, a team of designers. So you have more flexibility in your one membership. You can work with five different designers and be able to receive all these different types of things. So the, the, the global, so now to answer your second question is like the global aspect of, of like, of, of management. Um, I just think that people have very clear and defined job roles and they know exactly what to do in their day um, the minute that they step in, they, they clock in. Yep. I think that's probably the, the key. There isn't necessarily like a secret sauce. I just think the job roles are clearly defined. So that yep. way when there's a problem with a designer or a problem with a support person or whatever it may be, we can identify exactly what the, what the problem is. And I, I think that's probably the biggest like strength is every person has a singular goal and they do just that, nothing more. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so I, I just want to take a, a step back to the first question. So I completely understand <clears throat> instead of hiring one person who has a website design specialty, you're in Penji, you're hiring you know, a team of graphic designers who can help you in all your graphic design needs. So you get a bigger bang for your buck and actually less expensive even than the one hire in the first place. So it's a great package deal. If I, however, just need a brochure done once a month or something, 
you know, that's probably not the right candidate. You're probably, you probably have customers that have more graphic needs that they need a continuous production of graphic work. Cause if I just need one thing done, I could potentially go hire a freelancer on some of these freelance sites and get that one thing done. You're more of a continuous management team. You know, you have a, basically a team that's going to be with your company 12 months a year uh, for four or five, 10 years, whatever that's doing all your graphic needs on a monthly basis. Is that correct? Yeah, so we cater to the people who, who produce content, whether it's for themselves or for others. Uh-huh. If if you have a podcast, for example, and uh-huh. you have multiple people that you interview, and you have to change their their head or uh, in in the in the image, or you have to change the title because it's a new person, and and then you have like other things that you have to do, whether it's like an email blast or whatever, and you don't want to do it on like a, a self DIY website. Um, that takes time. And so that's where Penji kind of comes in. If you're an agency where you work with multiple customers and you're constantly just talking to them, you can work with Penji because we can do all of that work for you and you don't have to do the graphic design yourself. On the flip side of that, we also work with designers because designers don't feel like doing a lot of the grunt work, right? Nobody wants to do grunt work at the end of the day. They want to focus on, you know, whatever it is that they need to get done. And so we work with them in that aspect as well, because they don't want to do the cheesy banner ads. They want to focus on like the, yeah. the high level thinking. So um, those are the types of people that, that primarily work with our, with us and our service. Oh, that's awesome. That, that, that gives us a great customer profile of that ongoing need content producer agencies, you know, even designers themselves makes a ton of sense. I want to come back to the hiring, you know, and, and the size of the Penji team. Uh, it's not an easy task to hire people across the globe, onboard them, uh, speak their language, you know, uh, you know, do a whole, you know, manage them, have expectations of them, you know, th- things like that. Are, are, I'm assuming a lot of these uh, employees, you know, I guess maybe to put it a different way, some of them may be independent contractors because they're in other countries and some of them are employees, I'm assuming. Um, but it's easy for, for now for some of those people to do freelance work. Are, are these people 100% dedicated to Penji or are they kind of in your freelance team? Yeah, okay. they're all 100% Penji. Okay, I mean, perfect. we can't so call what's them. The best, what's so. the trick there? Because I know a few people that are in the, in, the, in the e-commerce space, software space, some marketing space, digital marketing space. And it's like, I can't find people. Like, because they all, you know, the millennial generation all wants to work for themselves. They want, you know, freelance, you know, gig society that we live in today. What is Penji's trick? Like, how, how are you guys hiring good people and retaining good people across the globe? What is that lesson that other entrepreneurs can learn from that? I think if you treat people really well, um, people will naturally either hear about it throughout the community um, or they'll refer their family or friends in order to want to work for the company that they work for. So um, I think that's probably a huge uh, component of it is, um, is, is the referral aspect. Uh, we also have the luxury of, of, um, of having a hiring team. So they, that's all they do is they, they try and find talent and they interview people and et cetera, et cetera. So we're a little lucky in that aspect, uh, because we have the, uh, the ability to have a hiring team, but I think, if, if you were to hire somebody right now and you're a small business owner or whatever, um, and you say, hey, you treat this person well, do you have any friends that are also in need of a job? Um, I can almost guarantee you, you'll probably be able to get a team of 10 people in, in a month. Sure. Yeah, especially if you're paying well, treating them well. Yeah. And a whole bunch of different things. So that, that makes sense. So 
uh, it sounds to me like, you know, I don't want to probe deeper into this. If the root of it is just treat them well, take care of them, network them. Uh, if they, but is there any other secret sauce that you guys have there that you think leads to, to that? I, I wish, I wish there was more, uh, to be honest with you. It's not. Well, that makes it easy. That makes it yeah. really easy. I would love to go one level deeper on the treating them well. I think there's some assumptions that can be made about what treating people well means. Yeah. Uh, like I have things in mind. If you said, Hey, you should treat people well, John, write down five components of treating people. Well, Jonathan, you write down your five and I'll write down my five. Yeah. Different. I bet we match on maybe one or two, maybe. Yeah. Yep. So I'd love to get a little bit more of the formula. I got the birthdays, anniversaries, children, uh, celebrate wins loudly. I got that part. Beyond that, what are the ways that you would define when you say we treat people well? What is treating people well? Yeah, uh, great question. It's understanding what makes them happy. So, um, for example, Rich, you could be, uh, I don't know your life situation, but you, you could be a guy with um, you know, multiple kids and family is, is everything. And, and, and all you want to do is have some type of security where you want to be paid well enough where you could feed your kids. And, uh, and, and John could be a, a, a bachelor going on throughout the entire world and, and going from country to country and talking to whoever he wants because that's just his lifestyle. Um, so he likes that nomadic aspect of, of, of whatever. We ask people in the very beginning of, the, of their job, you know, what, do you, what do you want to get out of this, this position? Why, why do you want to work here? Um, what is important to you? Um, and, and, and so that is the, uh, the crux of, 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 of how we're able to do that. Because once they're, they're able to answer that question, um, then we're able to provide, we, we know what we could do to make them happy. Um, so if they're family oriented, okay, well, here's a game plan in order for you to get paid X, Y, and Z. Um, would you rather have uh, a nomadic lifestyle? Okay, well, you can do this and we'll give you a compensation package to travel the world, you know, whatever it may be for X dollars a, a month, whatever it may be. Um, so it's just really understanding their core reasons for, for life and then um, finding the right solution to ensure that, that they're happy because of it. How do you cascade that ability in, in terms of probing to understand what makes them happy? What's their core purpose in life? How do you cascade the ability to get that information and then turn around and use it, customize the person's role with that idea in mind within some boundary of what the company does? How do you teach that to your hiring managers or the the team that are leading others because not all of that can come from you you must teach that somehow yeah yeah, yeah. i mean we have um particular benefits and and um offerings that we can give to to people i think at the end of the day the the hiring team has to be able to set the proper expectations in terms of what what you're allowed to do um and then be able to put them on a, a roadmap for success to say, if you do X, you'll get, you could lead to, to Y. Um, so I think it's just like a, a level of transparency and a conversation that has to be done from the beginning. And the questions need to be asked up front. They, they're not even hired employees yet. And we ask them that question. 
Um, because there are times where if somebody answers the question like, hey, I just want to be paid a million dollars a year. And we're like, all right, well, you know, guess what, man? We're not going to be the, the right company for you. Um, so we actually say no to more people than are actually uh, that actually uh, apply. And we kind of just focus to kind of round and end the thought. We focus on the people that we know would be a good culture fit because they fit the particular criteria. So just to validate that back, because you're clear on where your boundaries are of what you can offer, when you ask with openness, what makes them happy? What's important to you? Why do you want to work here? If they're wanting something you can't provide, whether that be money or some schedule flexibility or whatever it is, if you can't provide it, uh, you're very comfortable to say no to candidates. And in fact, you're saying no to more people you're talking to than you're saying yes to when you discover what it is that would make them happy. Yeah, exactly right. Powerful. So Jonathan, I, I want to come back to the beginning and, and, and go through one more uh, you know, phase here that we didn't talk about. Um, and then bring it right back to, to really some massive learnings you've had in entrepreneurism, right? So you, well, you talked about, you know, you first mentioned off the bat, you know, entrepreneurism, it's hell, man. Success is not a straight line up. Success is a lot of, you know, ups and downs and failures and learnings and learnings and learnings. And then you find your way. Okay, boom, we got a direction. Now we found it, right? Happens to all the entrepreneurs, right? You talked about being an entrepreneur at a very young age, getting a job at Apple, and then boom, you know, at some point just wasn't fitting, right? That corporate job just wasn't fitting. Uh, you weren't in a good place. You said you're not living up to your potential and you start going into this entrepreneurism thing again, right? Now it's marketing. Marketing was something that you liked. And you said, I've had, I had failure after failure after failure after failure until I found Penji and then boom, we hit it. Now we're on, now we're on this track. Talk to us about that phase because entre entrepreneurism is tough. And the one thing Rich called out real nice and early is you're a very transparent, genuine, vulnerable guy, right? Like you, you, I think our learner, our listeners will listen to this and go, Hey, like he's going to tell us how it is. What were some of those big learnings? And I'm sure there's more to come in your future as well. Right. Pretty young guy, but what were some of your biggest learnings so far in being an entrepreneur when you were going through those tough times and just failure after failure and learning and being in that bad place and just trying to figure it out, what was the big nuggets that came out of that? I think number one is ending your day 1% or we like to go by percentages. So we'll say um, if you end your day 1% better than what it started, then it's a success. Um, and if not, then obviously, you know, you don't want to have two, two bad days in a row. Yep. The other, the other one would probably be patience um, because I think, I think people want instant gratification now. Uh, and, and that's not always going to be the, the case. And I think the real, the real change that we had for, with Penji, because we did uh, digital marketing, we were a digital marketing agency and Penji was founded because we were our, the first customer of Penji because we wanted, we had an issue finding graphic design talent. And then we said, well, if we have a problem, then everybody else has a problem too. We validated that by interviewing people um, before Penji existed. So that, so the, the third thing would, would be that you have to solve a problem. And the problem has to be large enough that it makes people want to buy. 
And I think that was the, the real change. I remember we were, when we were digital marketing agency and I sat in a, uh, uh, a conference room with Rutgers university. I was like, hell yeah, man. Like we freaking did it guys. Like we got a a hundred plus thousand dollar contract. This is it. Like we we're good. And then, and then it ended up just like fail being a huge, massive failure because they, their, their communication strategies weren't the same as ours. And it just wasn't a good personality fit, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then we realized we're like, man, like we're, we're helping this person, this this dean but we're not helping the people that actually are part of the school you know people the people that are going to the schools are the ones that actually need the help not not the universities um there's more there's more people within the school that need help than there are universities that need help is the the math behind it and so we we said ourselves well what can we do to to help the people versus the, the the leaders um and we found out that more small businesses had a problem with graphic design. So we validated that the problem was, was extremely large within the small business community uh, and the, the Amazon mer- the merch community, the e-commerce community, than that of the people of like really big businesses and things like that. And so we, we found that problem and we went all in on solving that. And now I say that because there are a lot of people out there that may be listening to this, that have an idea um, and they don't, they, they might want to quit their job because of it. Yeah. Uh, or maybe they want to go seek funding and pray to God that they get on shark tank and then they get a million dollars, whatever it may be. Sure. Um, your problem has to be large enough and you have to validate that in order to make sure that the problem that you're solving is worth you quitting your job over. Yeah. Um, and for the most part, from what I see, a lot of people, uh, are doing things and they're, they don't know if the problem is large enough to even fix. Yeah. That's, that's very wise. And it, it sounds to me like in that particular digital marketing, the graphic design, you know, you, you thought you were solving a problem, which is people need digital marketing, but as you started going deeper and deeper and deeper into it, you were able to get a really compelling proposition for your business, which is no, here's the real problem that people are having. Let's go exactly. level deeper than this one and solve it. Exactly. But that took patience. Exactly. And it took endurance because I'm sure there were some times, you know, when you first started the company to the pivot of the company to other phases where you're like, man, this is hell, right? This is the way you started off. But being an entrepreneur, sometimes that takes you through that path. Has it been worth it for you? And as you, as you sit here and you go through those learnings, there'll be another learning next month. Next month, you'll take your company and kind of massage it a little bit more, right? That's kind of the evolution of, of business. You know, as an entrepreneur, here you are, right? And growing now, Penji, a lot of people. So how do you, how do you feel about that journey? It's a tough journey, right? If you don't want a tough journey, go get a nine to five job and get a paycheck and go home, right? Entrepreneurism is tough. How do you feel about that journey at this phase of your career? I am proud, but I'm not satisfied. All right. Um, I think we've come a very long way in hitting the, the financial milestones, the people milestones that we originally thought of. But I think that, and this is, in my opinion, why Penji is successful uh, the way that it is, is that we have a group of people inside of our, our HQ where we're all on the same page and understand what the, what the actual end goal is. Um, and we're not going to stop until we get there. And even when we get there, it's probably not going to be good enough and we'll find something else to kind of come up with. So we, we're, we're all 
built a little bit uniquely uh, in that we're just all understanding of, of, of this uh, grand vision. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I feel good, right? I, it's, it's really awesome that, you know, somebody in Dubai received an email. He's like, hey, uh, I used to live in Philly. I live in Dubai and, and, and I want to use your service because you guys are from Philly. And, you know, that was, that, that makes you feel really cool. Right. Yeah. It makes you feel good that like our service, he didn't even know that we existed. He found us in Dubai and, you know, multiple countries. I think now we're in over, you know, 50 countries or something like that, like some crazy number, which is just astronomically cool to think about. And, uh, and so to be able to help that many people, I think is a really cool feeling, but at the end of the day, like, I, I don't even think we're scratching the surface. Like we're, we're just there. It's yeah. just the beginning. Well, you know, I have to ask, what yeah, is the, the grand vision? vision? Yeah. yeah. Where, where is Penji going? I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this that have loved yeah. your story of entrepreneurism. We're like, I haven't quite heard of Penji yet. I'm going to go check it up. Right. I'm going to go take a look at what Penji is all about. Um, and we'll give them all of that information as well. But what is the grand vision of Penji? Where does this thing end up ultimately in the BHAG of your vision? Yeah, I think, uh, we would love to be, um, I think when people are able to use us in the context of like a verb or a noun, um, and they remove other people's, uh, other businesses names like, Oh, Hey, just Google it. Or, Hey, go get a bandaid or, Hey, you know, uh, whatever the other example may be. I think that's really the, the end goal is to be able to say like, Oh, just, you know, Penji it, or like, you know, uh, have Penji do it. Uh, I think that's, that's the end, the end goal would be when an overwhelming majority of people are able to, to confidently say Penji and refer Penji naturally um, versus that of them not really knowing who Penji is right now. Cause it's still relatively infancy. I mean, we've only been around for about three, four years um, in, 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 in totality. So there's a lot of room to, to grow. No doubt. And certainly with your vision, entrepreneurism and willingness to keep going, I look forward to following that success. So Thanks. thank you very much for, uh, for chatting with us today. Yeah, thank absolutely. You. Thanks guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode. Rich, I, I'm hard pressed to think of a guest we've had on the episode as an entrepreneur who came onto the episode really living the life of an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurism is tough. It's hard. There's ups and downs, peaks and valleys, failures, wins. And to have an entrepreneur in the middle of his day take the time out of his day to talk with us, but then also be as transparent, genuine, vulnerable about, hey, this is what real life entrepreneurism is like. It's tough sometimes. And when I asked him back at the end, so you know, how do you get through it? How do you just live for the next day as an entrepreneur? And why does that drive you? One of his first things was, if I can make every day 1% better than the day before and just keep going uh, on that track, I know that I'll get to the next step. So I thought that was really awesome to, to really see and experience an entrepreneur in the middle of the mud, right? Lifting and, and trying to build this business, which is going through this high growth phase, 200 employees in three years. That's pretty high growth. A lot of growing pains, a lot of learnings. Yeah, that was excellent. I it was interesting. The principles that I was writing down, many of them are known principles. And he wasn't using the language of some of those principles because it was just, he wasn't taught it. Like he is a natural leader as a CEO. 
so many of these principles, like celebrating individual identity, um, knowing the direction to go, but not necessarily the details, just the way that he described so many things. And I am flashing through when he, you asked a question that he had replied and said, everybody has a, a very specific role in the organization. I'm like, oh, that's like EOS, entrepreneurial, <clears throat> excuse me, operating system and having a responsibility matrix. But he's not saying, yeah, we have a responsibility matrix. Yep. He's using these principles and they're working and he's not using the language of it, which is almost a nod to how powerful those principles are that you don't need the language. If you can lead in the way that Jonathan leads, it mm -hmm. works. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When you, when you think about having a global force, uh, high growth company, global workforce of full-time 200 people, some, most of them in Asia, he said, a lot, a lot of the individuals. I mean, that takes a lot of matrix coordination. Who's handling which accounts? How you know? And, and you have to be able to hire people and trust them to go build. Because if they don't do what they're supposed to do, and you're trying to micromanage people all across the globe, that's never going to work. It's hard enough to micromanage people if they're not doing well when they're with you. Uh, so you really have to hire good people, vet them out. It sounds like they have a really, really strong vetting process in terms of really getting to know the people before they hire them. And it seems like they also lean a lot on birds of a feather flock together from a recruiting standpoint. I would guess that a company like, like Penji probably has some networking incentives that if you know people that come work here, there's an incentive here because the best people they'll find are probably warm network referrals. Yeah, and people were, he said, referring friends and family and colleagues and neighbors because they treated people well. Yep. And I wanted to go that layer deeper and ask him about, well, what is treating people well? Yeah, He went to understanding what makes them happy. I have this here that's uh, Andre Young's book, yeah. Seven Ways to Lead, for those that are on uh, Spotify or Apple that can't see on YouTube. Seven Ways to Lead is a book by Andre Young, former podcast guest. And I go in here and I go, Andre talked about the leader's seven languages. And there's seven different ways that an employee may be most responsive to how they want to be treated in the workplace. So again, I go this, oh, treat people well, understand what makes them happy is such a simple statement on Jonathan's part. And then it's like backed up with leaders like Andre Young with a, a way to approach it, a formula, the how-to that's transferable. Jonathan's not trying to transfer the skill of being a CEO. Andre Young transfers that skill and he has a formula on how to do many of the things Jonathan's doing and he's just doing it naturally. It was so beautiful to take notes on so many of these things that connected in that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's also one major business concept here I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into. I can't remember which episode and which guest we talked about it, but the concept was the riches are in the niches. That stuck with me. And Penji and the founders of Penji really started a digital marketing company. What they found was that there was a deeper space within digital marketing, which was graphic design, that they said, hold on a second, this is a biggest, bigger problem with a larger addressable need 
that we can create more consistent revenue streams. We can become the best in the world at it. And let's just focus in on this smaller niche in this digital marketing space. I thought that was a piece of genius that whomever on his team, his other co-founders or other partners, you know, say, hey, wait a minute, let's go down here and be the best right here, as opposed to be good at a much bigger pond. Let's just kind of specialize here. I think that is going to be ultimately the key to Penji's success is them going to that niche and really specializing. It's very hard as an entrepreneur when you see this massive ocean, you're like, wow, look at all the opportunity to look at a much smaller lake and say, we're going to own this lake. Uh, and it seems like they're, they're, they're taking that approach, which I love. Yeah, it speaks to one of the final nuggets that I took a note on where he said, solve a problem that's large enough that makes people want to buy. At the first stab at the company, it wasn't solving these niche problems. But to your point, they honed in on something very specific that was a large enough problem for enough people that they were compelled to work with the company. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's going to be the key to their success ultimately. And there's no doubt that there's a large vision. And if you want to have, if your vision as a company, I, and I love it because when I asked them, what's the vision, what's the grand vision? Where are you taking this? Of course, in my financial mind, I'm thinking he's going to give me a number. Like we want to be a billion dollar yes. company or we want, in my mind, I automatically go there. And, and Jonathan as the chief marketing officer of this company is like, well, my, my vision's a little bit different. I want to be known as go Penji that just like go Google that. Uh, I love that vision because that's a very grand, grand BHAG vision. But I, you can also start thinking about how do you have people associate, hey, just go to Penji, simple. And I love that it wasn't a dollar amount. I was attuned to that also when I was waiting for a dollar amount and I thought he was going to go there. Then yep. he's like, yeah, when Penji's used as a verb or a noun, it was like, oh my gosh, that is like household name status. And that is such a vision that I'm sure he could rally people behind and in, uh, in him being proud of where they are, but not satisfied. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just end with this, Rich. I think I've learned as well in the past year or two that what, what Penji does is, is spot on. When you are looking for a marketing person, let's say your firm needs a marketing person. The problem with that is that there are many, many different forms of marketing. There's website marketing, there's SEO, there's paid advertising, there's graphic design. And, and he's even saying in graphic design, there's different types. There's web graphic, there's local graphic, there's you know brochure graphics. So there's no one marketing person that you could ever hire that could do all of the needs of your organization. That's why digital marketing firms came about. But now even digital marketing firms can't hire enough graphic artists to do all the types of graphic artists. You know, so the concept that they have of, hey, pay us a monthly fee. I think he said it's around $500 a month or so. And you'll have a team that could do all of your graphic needs. I mean, that can really help businesses reduce their costs, but also have a team of experts on their side. So I really understand the problem they're solving and like it. And think I have some potential customers for them. So I, I really love what Penji offers and look forward to giving them a shot. Like with Vinny Fisher, a former podcast guest, where they had fractional CFOs. It's like fractional digital marketing, marketing overall, and uh, graphic design. It's a, it's a fractional way to do it for the entrepreneur who doesn't want to hire a full-time person who might just only have their own expertise. That's right. And then you'll be proud to hear that one of our listeners actually just signed a contract with Vinny Fisher's firm to do some uh, fractional CFO work. So Good. Well, obviously connecting some people, we should feel good about that. I hope people connect with Jonathan and Penji.